everyone. Welcome back to Glow Says Let's Talk Local, where we talk to local icons and innovators in the greater Vancouver area. Today, we hear part two of Leslie Stowe's culinary career and overnight success. That was actually 20 years in the making. Enjoy the show. How did all this hard work, all these years of being a pioneer, lead you to creating Raincoast Crips? As my brother said, 20 years of hard work for overnight success. <laughs> the original idea came from, we used to make a little loaf of bread called graham bread, and we sliced mm-hmm. it very thinly, and we served it with smoked salmon at okay. catering parties. And then we would sell the little loaves of bread sometimes in the store. And then we thought, oh, why don't we just slice this and dry it out like a Melba toast, like almost like this idea of a, you know, a different, like elevated Melba toast. Right. So we did this and people just loved it. And so then we started doing a bit more and we couldn't keep it in the store. And we called it the birdseed crisp at first. Okay. and everything. And then I thought, oh, maybe people, that doesn't sound so appetizing. (laughs) (laughs) We would just package it in cello bags and put a label on and people were coming from all over and coming from North Bend and West Bend and buying Uh for neighbors and their friends. And and then we thought, maybe we should do something more with this. And we already had a reputation for doing quality things. So I phoned up a couple of the cheese shops in the city and said, you know, would you like to try this out? So right away, we delivered it and it was a big success. And then we started to expand a little bit more. And then we thought, okay, what if we like tried shipping it? Like what would we, so we yeah. were started working on the packaging idea. And I had one woman that was working on it at first and she, you know, slicing this thing by hand. And it was like, wow. and it became a full-time job for her and right. then we <laughs> someone else. And we thought, okay, wow. we've got to get a better system than that. Right. And then we actually ended up, you know, researching like kind of bread slicing machines and, found one that was a German machine that because the German breads are very heavy. So it was really like a saw. So that was like, we call it comrade Hans, like hands, right? (laughs) 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 And this was just like amazing. You still had to, you know, feed it through by hand. Right, right. But but another game changer, I guess, right? Because it's automated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Changer as far as being able to produce more you know, there was still like so much like labor involved as far as like the making of it and the packaging of it. Anyways, it was just a process that we, you know, step by step, right. Sort of figure out, okay, we need to put this in a different kind of package. Right. And then we were looking at the market beyond Vancouver, decided we'd try to see if we could ship it to Calgary and how it would work. And oh. the interesting thing in Vancouver is that we had it in small stores to start with. Okay. And my father was actually in the grocery industry or supplied. So I was deferring to him and saying, you know, all oh, these like IGAs keep phoning me. And I hadn't really <laughs> thought about going into like IGAs. Right? right. A grocery store. Right. Yeah. And so I, you know, kind of resisted at first. And then their head office phoned me and said, oh, we'd like to have a meeting with you. Oh, so, wow. And then I was meeting and uh, with my you know, like 2IC Maggie Arrow, who was like my right arm for years and years through all okay. this. And uh, they said, okay, well, we'd like to have your product and you're going to have to pay for the shelf space and you're going to have to be in the flyer and you're going to have to pay for this and you're going to have to do that. Okay. And I said, well, no, we can't do that. We're like this small operation and no, we can't do that. And they said, oh, well, 
pat you on the head and say, oh, okay, well, come back when you'd like to do business our way. You'll learn this is the way you have to do it. I so, see. So we went away. It's fine. And after a couple of weeks, there were corporate stores and independent IGAs. And so the independents kept phoning me up. And I said to my father, okay, like, is, you know, should I just like go with these independent stores? He said, well, they've got some leeway to do some of their own things. So anyways, so we started shipping to the independent stores and okay. then the corporate store phoned us up and said, okay, we'll do it your way. <laughs> My, my father said my ignorance was my greatest asset in the life because I wasn't going with the normal, like the way you do it with the grocery stores, right? Right, right. We're lucky because we moved out of our operation on third and decided to, like, we basically gave the catering business to my catering manager okay. and to focus on Raincoast Crisps. Yes, yes. Yeah. We had this friend, Andrew Graham, who was our financial kind of advisor and said, you're not making money at that and that and that, but you are at that. And my husband said, you know, you should like go for it and just focus on this. If it doesn't work out, you're not going to be on the street. And, right. you know, uh, <laughs> and you don't want to regret that you never really tried, tried it. it. I say I was not a risk taker and people laugh at that, but it was measured risk. So we, we found a space that was actually close. We were on third, we moved to fifth and it was yes. a warehouse space. Yes. And we made it into basically commercial bakery. And can I ask you, okay, that space, was it not K-Pasa chips at one point or was that after you? Was that before you or after you? It wasn't a K-Pasa chips, but it was right near K-Pasa chips. Ah, okay. Where we were was just a, a storage warehouse the woman that worked with us, her husband was in commercial real estate and he knew the owner of that building said, you know, you should just rent this space out and you should not be just filling it with like stuff from your other businesses. That's kind of a waste of money. So they agreed to that. So we had to take it from scratch and make mm. it a commercial bakery. I did a business plan and went to the bank that I was dealing with and mm-hmm. said what I want to do. And I'm going to cash in my RSPs this is what I've got. And I yep. need to match this so that I have enough to get the basic equipment. Cause it was very different equipment from what we had in the right for sure operation. I got turned down and turned down and turned down. I have to say it was a woman, Marion McAllister, who is this mm-hmm. amazing banker with HSBC that said, sounds great. We're going to give you more than you're asking for. And I said, no, 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 I don't want anything more. I want just this amount. And that was it. And we like it off as fast as we could. I had like so many different banks calling me when we were like up and running, like, oh, can we help you? Can we help you? Right. And you're like, well, you said no. (laughs) These other banks. Yeah. Before that, they were like, oh, if your husband signs for you or your father signs for you. Mm. No, this is my thing. It wasn't like opening a restaurant. I have consulted with different young people who have thought about getting into, especially in the food business, about getting started and, you know, the financial commitment. And I'd say, I mean, you have to have a good plan and a vision and how you're going to get from A to B, but Mm -hmm. also not to get tempted by, I mean, we were pretty successful at the beginning, but we were still small, but I could see how many people would say, oh, this is going to be like a huge success. We want to go from like our like five thousand square feet, and we'll just go rent this like you know, 
30,000 square foot operation and we'll just like snap it up and we'll go and get the financing for that. I'll take mm. financial partners on. And mm. I've seen quite a few cases where it imploded because they just yeah. went too fast. Don't put the cart before the horse because it was going well, but we were like feeding it again. Like yes. You know, yes. putting money back into the business, yes. not getting like, you know, 10 ovens, only buying four and then right. adding as we could. So we had a waiting list of stores that wanted the product, which is wow. in the industry is unheard of, right? Wow. wow. Like, what do you mean you want it a month in advance for Christmas? <laughs> like, I'm just wow. going next week, right? Wow. They wanted it because it yeah. was doing so well. So we were in that fortunate position yeah. to be able to dictate the business, you know, at the beginning. Yeah. What an evolution, though. I mean, it sounds like your whole past 20 years to be this overnight success, you needed the 20 years, didn't you? Like to be prepared, even as a businesswoman, I'm sure your business skills were honed down and you weren't going to have someone else sign for your you know, financing. You were going to do it. This was your product. You knew where you wanted to go with it. That's super awesome. I read that those Raincoast Chris got on the O list, Oprah's O list and Martha Stewart's magazine. Was that a surprise to you? Or did that, do people call you and say, we're from Oprah, we're going to put you on the list? (laughs) Interestingly, just to backtrack a little bit in the journey of the business at the beginning, Whole Foods came to Vancouver. They had purchased a, a chain of stores called Wild Oats in the United States, which was a natural health food kind of mm-hmm. chain that was smaller than themselves. Wild Oats had actually purchased a small operation, a family operation of stores called Capers in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Capers had like three stores, I believe. Wild Oats had bought them. So when Whole Foods bought Wild Oats. All of a sudden, Whole Foods was in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And so it never changed to Wild Oats. It was Capers when Wild Oats had it. But the Whole Foods came and they were like quite careful about not changing the name right away. But they really wanted to get products that were local. So they'd heard about our crackers and they phoned us up and said, oh, we really want to have your crackers in our store. And mm-hmm. when Foods take something on, they really get behind it. Like they yes. really like promote it. And so this was fantastic for us. So they had those stores in Vancouver, which is like unbelievable for the size of the city. Mm-hmm. Back then they had with three stores and then they opened two more. I mean, like really, even to this day, there's more in Vancouver than there are in Toronto. Yeah. And so right. Toronto area just had like actually one in the city and one outside called Oakville. They wanted it too. So the Whole Foods was buying back then regionally and Canada was just considered part of like the West Coast. So in Madison, Wisconsin, of all places, they did all the buying for the Midwest. And yep. they saw this product was doing so well in Toronto and Oakville. And they said, oh my God, we've got to get that down here. Then the woman, Kathy Strange, who is still, even though Whole Foods has now been bought by Amazon, mm-hmm. she's still head of the specialty department, which is cheese olives, crackers. She phoned me from Austin, Texas, their head office and said, you know, this is like really amazing. We just love your product. And we'd like to take it, you know, nationally to all our stores. And wow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> myself. And yeah. Saying, oh, yeah, yeah. Amazing. But we want exclusive on it. Mm. And I said, um, and I hesitated a bit and I said, well, you know, we already are established on the West Coast in a number of stores and I can't like take it away from those stores. I would entertain that idea on a timeline of a year, but 
with the caveat that the stores that have it right now in Canada, they continue to have it. And mm. so I'm still, I'm like, you know, punching myself and saying, oh, it's such a great opportunity. And so we agreed to that. And so it was like, oh, that was wow. like a huge deal because even though Whole Foods as a chain of stores is not that big, even today, they maybe have less than 600, I think, in North America. Okay. They're extremely influential in the food mm-hmm. business. Everyone yeah. looks at what they're doing. All the mm-hmm. big chains, Albertsons, you know, Safeway, yeah. all these different stores are all looking at what Whole Foods is doing. Mm-hmm. And so it was a great, great opportunity for us. It was just like, yeah. So that then the placement of that then led to, you know, us being written up. And then the Oprah people, ah. they're always scouting, contacting us and, and saying that we were on the first, the long list, then the short list to be. Wow. Her. Yeah. So that was like super exciting. Yeah. 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 As far as like making a mark in the United States, that was very helpful. You see how all your experience, it really fed into this. It led you to this point. It's so fantastic. (laughs) I'm going to tell you something that you don't know about me. So because I lived abroad, you know, you start to live in an international community and everyone, you know, you get to know people and the moms will get together and have lunches and coffees and things. So you start to bring back things that are native to your country. That's special to where you're from. And the only thing I could ever bring back was like smoked salmon, (laughs) maybe like some maple syrup, but maple syrup didn't travel so well. Well, I was so thrilled that, okay, I lived abroad for eight years. And every time I went back, Leslie, we brought back 12 to 14 suitcases of things from home. And in my suitcase, I'll tell you was Oyama's charcuterie. Okay. And I would, I knew how to pack that very well and make sure it got there frozen. JJ bean coffee. And Leslie Stowe's Raincoast Crisps. (laughs) And I was so thrilled to bring that because every time I brought it out to share or as a hostess gift, or if I entertained myself, everyone was like, wow, these are from Vancouver. Oh, I've seen these because most of these women were Americans or they're Australians. I've seen these at the stores. I've heard of them. I didn't know they were from Vancouver. And I was always so happy to be able to share that. (laughs) And your most popular flavor, I have to tell you that everyone loved and I couldn't bring enough of was the one in the green box. It was the rosemary and fig. Is that right? The rosemary raisin pecan. Uh, raise, okay, that's it. Sorry. And that was the best. And I went to my local, wherever I was, I could get it, IGA or somewhere. And I brought like eight to 10 boxes back every time. <laughs> so so well, there it's you interesting go. That, that was because the most popular flavor profile for sure is the cranberry hazelnut. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the that's the red box. Yeah, it's the red box. Has been influenced me into creating the um, salty date and almond because he yeah. said something like a bit saltier because it's the salty sweet thing and the whole snack thing, right? You are a pioneer in that too, though, because I noticed that when that flavor came out, I have to tell you, and it was right at the beginning of everyone salting everything, like salted chocolate, salted caramel, salted this and that. I'm like, yeah, she started that thing because, or at least she brought it here because I noticed that I was impressed with that flavor. You, you or your husband, one of you. <laughs> he kills himself a Luddite in the food business or food <laughs> world, but he's, uh, I call him a meditarian. You know, he comes up with some things that are extremely good yep. ideas. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he did good. Well, it's a good partnership. So <laughs> I, have to, I mean, the interesting thing for us, I mean, like, again, going back in 
this particular product. It was something that was unique on the market at the time. And there wasn't anything quite like it. So we were fortunate that we brought something out that the market was just like, literally, no pun intended, hungry for like Mm -hmm. something different. It was Mm -hmm. um, not to, you know, belittle the other crackers that were out there. But the people at Loblaws, who are, you know, really the biggest, most influential kind of food chain in, in Canada, because of their influence in Ontario, the Rinko's Chris changed the cracker market. It changed the profile. I mean, since then, there have been tons of copycats. Yes, and, I've um, tried them. They're not as good. <laughs> they just want to make them cheaper, like not better. It's easy to make something cheaper. Although we had so many different companies that came to us and wanted us to do a private label for them. Mm-hmm. And my father said, like, I'm the best and worst person for them to come to because the best in that I I don't compromise. I don't like to compromise. So for me to do something of a lesser quality, just like, uh, and in the food side, not the business side, I had to learn the business side. Understood. So just for me to do something that was like, inferior quality just I couldn't do it right Mm -hmm. to build a brand you have to like get yourself out there you have to get that product actually out there so that that's like the benchmark and I'm the first to say okay something is better it was kind of unique at the time and it just Mm -hmm. worked so well the fact that you could actually see the crackers and see that they're like not all exactly the same they're kind of wavy and they've got so many great things in them and that's what I loved about it it was so unique and you could see and I liked the waviness that's true I didn't like the symmetrical like punch mass punched out thing it wasn't as artisan you really nailed the whole artisan thing yep well and so it meant it more labor intensive more hands-on you know and the good ingredients and lots of them in there Mm -hmm. like another glass you know breaking the glass ceiling was the whole the price point, right? It was like, oh my gosh, like you can't charge $6.99 for a box of crackers. Mm-hmm. But it just elevated it to another level. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, for entertaining, don't you want your guests to have something interesting and different? Instant entertainment. Yeah. You have that and that good piece of cheese and you're like... And that was it. That's all you needed. And some coffee yeah. or something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, I can tell you, they travel very well if you wrap them up in ski jackets. <laughs> <laughs> Ski jackets wrap them up and surprise it. And it's cold in the bottom of a plane. So it all stays very well. They never broke or were crumbly or anything. They were great. Packaging really came from that, you know, where it come from. Like I had so many products in my store and what works and what doesn't and what mm-hmm. arrives in one piece, like from whether it's coming from the States or from Europe. And so it was a process of like what I'd actually seen out there. Yeah, no, so- that's great. When I was preparing for the interview, I was going to ask you, would it have helped you, do you think, to have an additional skill or degree, like in business or math? But I'm going to tell you that my conclusion is that I don't think it would have because (laughs) I sometimes wonder if you know too much or you've got, you're too skilled. It might take the creativity out of it. I don't know. What do you think about that? Interesting you say that. I guess as far as the sort of financial side, Maybe it would have been, you know, better for me to have a bit more of that, but hire people for things that I wasn't good at. And I just like seek out, you know, who I thought was going to be best to fill that role and empower them. Yep. It's your birthday. Some positive, you know, celebration. What meal are you going to have? What are you going to make for yourself? I love Italian food, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard. There's so many different things, but I would probably say some kind of pasta dish, 
if I could get fresh truffles, I'd say like a angel hair or pappardelle just with parmesan and shaved like a little bit of butter and olive oil and shaved fresh truffles on the top. That would be a bit of heaven for me. Simple salad with just a really light kind of vinaigrette, but with some really lovely greens, interesting greens. And yeah. then I'd have to have chocolate for dessert for sure. Yeah. Sounds yeah. good. Valrona chocolate. <laughs> that maybe. I don't know what you think about this. I always think that Italian food, like when it is done simply and somehow in Italy tastes so much better than anywhere else. I don't know if it's the ingredients or it's just the fact that you're there. They treat their products so well and mm. they are very strict about, you know, where the prosciutto comes from and they're like the Parmesan cheese. It's like their treasure, right? It's they treat so it like a treasure. Yeah. It's so important to them. So when you yeah. have great ingredients and you don't mess them up, you yep. come out with a great product, right? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Okay, I have two more questions for you. The first is, what other businesses do you like to support in Vancouver? Are there businesses around here that you like what they're doing or you know, you recognize that what they do is kind of like what you would do? Yeah, on different ends of the spectrum, I'm always looking at like great bakeries. And I think Vancouver has some amazing great bakeries. I'd have to say Boku Bakery is one of my favorite for like their French kind of pastry things Mm -hmm. and Batard bakery for their breads, their Levin breads are just like amazing. And they are done in a way that they don't go stale. Like in a day, they've got like the moisture content and the kind of sourdough figured out exactly. So Mm -hmm. that they're they're great crusts and they they Mm -hmm. bake them long enough. That's the other thing is like crusts that are dark on the outside that give you that like amazing intense flavor. Mm -hmm. And on the other spectrum, I have to like give a shout out to um, Bocce's women's clothing store on South Mm. who have been around for more than 30 years. And Mm -hmm. they are like a single double store. They've got like a homeware store on one Mm -hmm. side Mm -hmm. and clothing store on the other side. And they through thick and thin, they know their clientele. They've been like so, and the fashion industry is so fickle. And so I, I like it. They have clientele from like all over North America mm-hmm. that, that appreciate what they've done. And I like just can't say enough about those kind of small businesses that have like tufted out through thick and thin and are mm-hmm. creative and support the community that they're in as well. Mm, yeah. You know, every time I drive by 12th and Granville and see that store, I always think to me as a local Vancouverite, it's our little piece of New York because I love their window displays and the the effort and time that they put into those displays. To me, I appreciate it. I think they're amazing. Yeah. yeah. No, All the I, things that are curated there. Yeah. yeah. My last question was, what's the future for what you're doing? Like, how is your time spent these days? Are you in the day-to-day operations still of Rain Coast Crisps or what um, do you do? I'm not so much. I mean, seven years ago, I did sell the business to Dare Foods. And it was a conscious process to do that because I felt that we'd in a way kind of reached certain kind of plateau and to keep the the business growing. We could have gone in a few different directions, but I felt somebody that already had at a certain point, it's about distribution and they sell their products. They're more mainstream cooking Mm -hmm. peppers, but Mm -hmm. they are established in 40 countries around the world. And I wanted it to be bigger than me and last a lot longer than me. So I thought this was a good route, a family run operation that's been going for over 120 years. 
And so I continue to consult with them. And also, I'm thrilled that the same team basically is making the product. It's still being made in the same location. They're doing it the same way. They haven't dumped it down. They like they knew what they were buying and that they, you know, they were doing a lot of other things themselves. So why would you buy something and then change it? And they certainly don't. And they really respect that my name's on it and that they ask me about different things. And how would Leslie say this or how would Leslie think of this? Wow. I'm thrilled that that it's gone that way. Yep. And so I continue to consult with them and consult with some other people that are in small uh, food operations that come to me. I have written a couple of cookbooks. One I'd done when we were still, you know, in the infantile stages of the crackers, Leslie Still Fine Foods. Mm-hmm. And then I did desserts from my kitchen which was right after we sold the business, luckily, because I was having anxiety attacks about not, not being full-time in the business. I could do another one. I'll, I'll see. I keep getting- Another cookbook? Great. Well, congratulations to you. I love your journey. It's been a very celebrated one and full of great experience too. I, I hope that people will listen to this and get a lot of what you said. I encourage young people to live their dream and- and get mentors. That's that was mm. my main message is really mm. learn from other people's mistakes so that you don't need to go down that path. Follow your dreams. Great. That's a good piece of advice. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. What a great podcast with the incredibly gifted and talented Leslie Stowe Scott. Thanks, Melanie, for making the introduction. I probably wouldn't have met her otherwise. Leslie is a real pioneer in the culinary food scene around here. I remember her fine food shop near Granville Island and how elevated everything was. No compromise, commitment to quality, and she had a real eye for unique and oftentimes the best food products Vancouver had to offer at that time. Like artisan cheeses, olive oils, chocolates, bread. I love making a point to go there. Like many others, it was a destination spot to look around the shelves to see all the interesting things she had stocked. Can you think back to creating a business without the internet and where you basically had to rely on physical word of mouth or a physical newspaper? Like she could have invested into crates and crates of Valrona chocolate and no one east of Granville may ever have known about it. That takes some real vision and some real courage. I hope you enjoyed this two-part show. Next week, I get to speak to Adette Gagné, who's the president of the Vancouver Women's Musical Society. Until then, follow me at Glow Says on Apple or Spotify. Now you can tell Alexa to find me as well. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs>